NPS was originally designed for B2C as a predictor of loyalty. After working at Satmetric Systems, the originator of the research behind NPS, Steve Bernstein helped found Waypoint Group to tackle how to use NPS in a B2B environment. B2B has significantly different buying cycles in both length and complexity from B2C, and often many stakeholders influencing the buying decision. Steve joins Next in Q this week to discuss the difference between Net Promoter System and Net Promoter Score, sampling strategy, and why response rate is a critical metric, the issues with transactional NPS, when and how often to engage with customers on NPS, why he hates the term survey, and why NPS should not be part of an agent scorecard. Let's get to it. Welcome to Next in Q, the podcast for contact center and customer experience professionals. Next in Q is brought to you by Happy Two Vision. Eliminate blind spots and see right through every conversation with Happy Two Vision. Learn more at HAPPITU.com. Now, here's your host, Rob Dwyer. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining another episode of Next in Q. My name is Rob Dwyer, and uh, I have got the guy to talk to us about NPS today. Steve Bernstein, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. We actually have a little snow here in California, so um, uh, even better. Yeah, it is getting to be that time of year. So uh, before we really, really dive into NPS, uh, tell us a little bit about your history and kind of uh, where where you've been and and what brought to you brought you to where you are today? So I'll try to keep it short. Bottom line is um, I'm one of the founders here at this company Waypoint Group. We started the business about uh, 13 years ago, believe it or not, <laughs> um, to really work out uh, best practice in the net promoter system and uh, net promoter score and net promoter system, particular for B two B. Um, we came from a company called Satmetrics that was the originator of the research. We did all the research behind the net promoter score and net promoter system. Um, and what I think the, the big aha here is what people don't realize is when we did all that research, we brought it to market with Bain and company and Fred Reich held. That was all consumer research. We did um, you know, the 20 plus different consumer industries to because that's where we had the data and that's where we could start to do some initial research. We did this series of longitudinal studies with the same contacts over time to look at, you know, what the best predictors were of loyalty. We were, you know, uh, surveys on the web was a pretty new thing at this, this time, believe it or not, right? It was like we were moving from focus groups and mail-in surveys, which obviously were horrible, to being able to do this on the internet and capture the right data. So the big question is, well, what questions should we ask? Um, we researched these industries, and again, it was, wasn't B2B. So when we left Satmetrics to start Waypoint Group, it was all with the focus of, well, 
B2B adds this layer of complexity and what 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 is different about that? So that said, I have a lot of uh, experience in both sort of the consumer side, the B2B side, as well as the internal side, working with uh, from an employee experience side or an IT services engagement side of things, um, using uh, feedback to understand what's working and not working and where the right uh, corrections or the optimal correction should be. Well, that's fascinating. I really thought I was getting an NPS expert. I don't know why I'm talking to you now, but (laughs) (laughs) let's actually, let's do some really basic. What is NPS for those that are, so you mentioned Net Promoter Score, Net Promoter System. Let's talk about Net Promoter Score first. What is that? What are the main components and and how does that work? Well, so the idea was to to work out two things, right? Figuring out a a mechanism for who's really loyal or with you and who's not, right? And then working out a, a, a KPI, the net promoter score. What is that key performance indicator that tells the board and the executive level team we're headed in the right direction? Now, um, so the net promoter score basically uh, has a mechanism for understanding for any given respondent to your questionnaire, to your survey, um, there's a question that it gets included. How likely would you be to recommend uh, friends or colleagues to company X, right? Uh, let, let's say you're, I don't know, not to pick on United Airlines, but I just flew them recently. So how likely would you be to recommend United Airlines, right? Um, simple question. Uh, what, what the research did, what we did, you know, 20 plus or well, yeah, a little over 20 years ago was to work out um, what questions are appropriate because we looked at, you know, customer satisfaction. We looked at likelihood to renew. We looked at um, if you essentially make the decision again, like would you make the same decision? We looked at all these kind of prevailing different questions and we asked these questions to the same contacts over time. But we also looked at their actual behavior, what they did, right? And what we found was people who rated a 9 or a 10 on this recommend question actually generally did recommend and generally did renew and generally did demonstrate behaviors that were loyal. Some of the big aha coming out of this, though, was, you know, the prevailing wisdom at the time was fives are neutral on a zero to 10 scale. If somebody gives you a five, you know, we have a middle of the road. But what we found is, no, that's not at all the case, right? If I ask you, how likely are you to recommend United Airlines and you come back with, eh, you know, eh, I'm I'm neutral, right? You're That's telling me you're not neutral, right? right. Uh, so two things, right, really came out of it. The scale and this idea of promoters versus detractors, promoters on the high end, detractors on the low end, passives in the middle, and then net out what is an ultimate score of of those people, you know, on a scale of negative 100, which means everybody that's responding is a detractor to a positive 100. Everybody that's responding is a promoter, right? Your score can range from negative 100 to positive 100. Now, here's the thing about the score, though, right? Um, uh, for, first of all, there is a deliberate 
scientific, what we call sampling strategy for coming up with the score. That gets forgotten about by most people, right? They sort of just invite everybody, they get a whole bunch of respondents, they throw it all into the hopper, and they come up with a score. Um, okay, does that score truly represent the business? Are you talking to the right people, right? Getting the right feedback from the right people at the right time. Are you asking them the right question, right? Um, and we've seen all kinds of ways to game it. It's kind of cool, right? You can do everything from reversing the scale and making it confusing to people. You can label anchors differently. I mean, there's all kinds of ways to game it. But the bottom line is like, look, if you really want to understand what's going on, then you shouldn't just think about the score, you should think about the net promoter system, which is a, a way to make sure, A, you're talking to the right people at the right time, asking them the right questions. And then the most important piece, the follow-up. Because, look, you're going to get symptoms. You're going to get some, some uh, directional input into why a customer is telling you what they're telling you. But to get to true root cause... It's a dialogue. It's got to be a dialogue. So in B2B, we have this thing called an account manager or a customer success manager. Or, you know, in IT services, you've generally got an IT liaison to a particular area or an IT project manager. Um, in consumer, you, you tend to kind of um, uh, do a sampling audit strategy, a little bit different, right? Because you've got millions of people. You're not going to be able to follow up with everybody, but you take more of a one-to-many strategy, wherein maybe some of the internal or B2B examples, census, one-to-one -one might, might be a better strategy. But the follow-up is a big part of all this, to understand root cause and to go beyond the score and actually understand kind of the sentiment and why to be able to make the right course corrections. Anyway, so that's kind of the difference between score and system. And I'm a big advocate of the system, not a big advocate of the score, for as you could probably tell. Yeah, I think there is a fundamental misunderstanding for a lot of businesses, whether they're B2C or B2B, it doesn't matter, and that they're chasing a score. And uh, there are, you know, industry benchmarks, and they're looking at, okay, well, my competitor X over here is at a 60. And so we want to, we want to be better than them. And so they're chasing the score instead of trying to understand what does that metric tell them and what information can they glean from the people that uh, both are, are raving fans and the people who are not fans so that they can perform better and drive customer loyalty. I love what you just said about, you know, what do the fans love, right? Um, there's, there's a, book that I just adore called Switch. It's all about change management. Maybe, maybe you know it, but I, and it basically, the theme of the book is kind of what we see as well, that um, uh, the bright spots, the, the, the things that are working really well, sometimes are easier to identify and replicate across the organization, rather than looking at the, the dark spots and mm -hmm. trying to figure out like what, what are those things? So coming at it from, from at least the bright spot angle is my going in assumption, but you know, depending on resources and kind of what you're trying to do, talking to both sides is obviously very insightful. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things you kind of uh, hinted at a little bit, uh, particularly in the, the B2C side, but I'd like to talk about it both maybe B2C and B2B. 
is in B2C, a lot of companies just kind of do what, what I like to think of as uh, transactional surveys, which is when you contact me for something, then afterwards, I'm going to send you a survey. And that's how I get my, my NPS score. So every time you contact me, I send out a survey. If you answer, that's part of the score. Um, number one, what's wrong with that? And then number two, if I want to get an NPS score for my business, whether it's B2C or B2B, when and how should I go about doing that? Well, there's a lot to unpack in there. So let me, <laughs> keep me on. please. So uh, first of all, absolutely. This, this idea of transactional NPS, I'm a big detractor of that. And the, the N NPS is a relationship metric. It's, you know, how likely would you be to recommend United Airlines? Well, am I going to do that based on just my most recent flight or right. based on my interaction with the contact center? I had a horrible interaction with the contact center, so I'm not likely to recommend. It doesn't work that way in real life, right? It's the sum of the experiences come up with your ability to recommend somebody. Now, you know, there are transactional measures that you you can still use to measure the effectiveness of that particular silo, right? But so it kind of depends on what you're trying to do. Do you need a, are you looking for a performance management metric? Well, I would say NPS is totally wrong for that because it's a relationship metric and the caller doesn't have an experience or a relationship with that agent, it just, right? So there are certainly different kinds of questions and separating the transactional from the relationship is important. Now that said, I would say you can ask something like, as a result of this interaction, did your likelihood to recommend us improve, decline, stay the same, right? You, you could do something like that. So if you wanna understand the effectiveness of the silo or of that experience, you, you can get, did we move the needle or did, you know, which ne which direction did we move the needle? Yeah. Um, uh, so that that could be important, but it's really a matter of understanding, you know, and trying to isolate, um, you know, again, what things are are working and not working, because as Amazon always says, right, the best service is no service. People don't want to contact the contact center in the first place. Right. So they're already starting from a negative point of view. Right. And uh, and and working out kind of what led them to have to call and not just for call avoidance, but for relationship improvement, those would be things that you probably want to look at. One, one other point, the net promoter system was based, as I said in the beginning, on a deliberate sampling strategy, talking to the right people and getting feedback from them at the right moments in time. Now, when we did the research, it was a longitudinal study. They were the same contacts over time. Um, that's a good approach, especially in B2B. Right, where you're working with these same people over and over and over again. Now, if you're millions of customers, it's kind of hard to do that. But a deliberate sampling strategy should still get you the ability to understand apples versus oranges and making sure that you're talking to the, the, those same people. So the big question becomes, if you're talking to the right people at the right time, they're a promoter, they're a passive, they're a detractor. What about the non-responders? They're not in there. They're not in the score. And what we found is those non-responders actually tend to be, especially in B2B, where you've got to have a relationship, or especially in IT services, 
where it's got to be a relationship, um, those non-responders tend to be pretty darn toxic, more yeah. so than detractors. So response rate has got to be another critical metric, right? What, response rate, actually, what I prefer to use is called coverage, which is how much revenue are we actually talking to or how much of the business are we actually talking to and how well does that represent the whole? So if you're in United Airlines, you're not going to talk to everybody, but you are certainly going to you know, isolate your million mile customers from your long tail, no status customers. You got to do that. In B2B, you got to look at it not only from segmentation, but also persona. And, and maybe in other, you know, in IT services or in consumer, you might look at the persona as well. Um, uh, decision makers, totally different from end users, um, right? As, as extreme examples, uh, use case, right? Uh, like, so if I'm flying United and I, you know, if let's say I had a bereavement and I need some urgent service, that's very different than a planned business trip. Those are different sort of expectations and experiences. So use case or, you know, th that going in assumption also, you know, these things become important to understand expectations versus experiences. What do they actually get? Uh, end of ramble. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's a, it's, it's a great ramble. And I think um, the one question that I have then is uh, what kind of cadence should people look at? So let's say I've got a good sample. I'm talking to the right people. How often should I be gauging kind of where they are? Good question. I mean, a couple of different ways to approach it. One is, what's the pace of change in the organization, right? So again, if I'm, I, I'm using the United Airlines example, uh, but you know, how how often are they changing the offering, mm. and and do customers recognize that change, right? So. If the offering is staying the same, right, then why are we continuing to measure this if we already kind of know, right? On the other hand, let's take a B2B example. There are specific customer milestones, right? There's like onboarding and then there's initial value and then maybe there's pre-renewal and there's sort of, you know, there are these milestones across the life cycle. Those are great opportunities like, hey, our, our records show that you should be recognizing the value at this point. You've got this kind of usage. You've got that, you know, these many people engaged, you know, that's a good time to, un to understand are, are, are they really seeing the value, right? And maybe the recommend question is appropriate. Maybe some other question is appropriate, like, you know, to what extent are we helping you be successful or to what extent are you recognizing the value that we're, that you're expecting? I mean, again, I try to advise people, don't get hung up on the question. Try to really understand what it is that you want to know. Ask those questions at the relevant times. Like I said, in B2B, it's you know probably milestone-based because that's when change or expectations change. In the consumer example, expectations probably change when the offering or the go-to-market or the, you know, the three or five Ps, whatever methodology you're using in consumer marketing. Um, that this did did I address your question? I mean, yeah. uh, cadence is a big deal here. Yeah, and I think that's a strategy that uh, a lot of companies are missing because they are simply uh, maybe they're they're going by the calendar, right? And so maybe we're doing it monthly, or maybe we're doing the the interaction based, right? You reached out to us, and so we sent right. you a survey. And I think having a, a I think people sometimes look at NPS, 
the way they look at other transactional metrics, survey methods, which are valid just in a different way. And those you maybe do want to do every time you interact with someone, maybe you want to survey them. Yep. Uh, and that actually leads me to my my next question. And I heard you talk a little bit about it, but I hear all the time, uh, particularly on LinkedIn, people talking about, uh, should we just abandon NPS? Don't we have better metrics? What about CSAT or what about customer effort score? Mm. Uh, what what do you have to say about that? Um, not to be flipped, I, I think the metric matters less than the system and the process of actually talking and listening. Um, because any of those metrics just come up with a lagging indicator, right? Of here, they're evaluating us based on the past. Uh, turn it into a leading indicator. Mm. How are you going to use that feedback? Okay, we're okay. They're they're ha they're happy or they're unhappy. Are are they going to move in the right direction? Right? Are they trending up and to the right, or are they trending down downwards? Right. right? Uh, so the metric, not to be flipped, um, I would say don't don't focus on the metric first, focus on the business problem we're trying to solve. And then the metric might help. And I would also say that, you know, like customer effort score, I know that's been a big deal. It, it was used, the research around customer effort score was used in tech support arenas and customer service arenas. So very transactional, not relationship, which mm -hmm. not, not to fault it. Um, but even it, so, even from business to business, there are differences on whether customer effort actually matters. So interestingly enough, we've done a lot of work, including the effort question in transactional surveys, which, by the way, as a quick tangent, I hate the word survey. Um, <laughs> who likes to be surveyed? I, I don't know anybody who likes, but if you ask me, like, will you please assess your experience so we can do better? Anyway, that's the aside. Um, like so the assessment or questionnaire or whatever it is is using, um, it, it can be included in other experiences and transactions. Um, the question is, does is it a key driver? And I would say just because something scores low doesn't make it a key driver. In other words, statistically, um, you could look at correlations, you could do regressions, you can do other sorts of statistical analysis to work out how how likely is an improvement in this particular area going to move the overall relationship? Like if I put more money into effort in reducing customer effort, is it going to really move the needle on the overall satisfaction of that ticket or experience? Well, it, it might for your business. We found other businesses where, no, it's not about effort. What we kind of surmise is, well, especially in B2B, it's people's job. There are administrators who've opened tickets on behalf of other people, or there are project managers, whatever it may be, it's it's their job. So reducing effort may or may not be the big ticket item. We see other things like, you know, call avoidance. Like I didn't want to contact you guys in the first place. Um, uh, uh, status updates, useful status updates and communications around what's going on with this. That That is a bigger bang for the buck. So I, my big advice is, yeah, you could look at the metrics, but really understand which of those things is most likely to move the needle financially or sentiment wise and focus on prioritize those first. So uh, as you are saying this, I am thinking of exactly one of the things that I, I talk to 
supervisors all the time. Um, there's particularly in contact centers, right? We have so many metrics and we might get hung up on focusing on metrics. And even when we're talking to agents and we're coaching agents, we're thinking metrics, metrics, when really what we need to be thinking is number one, behavior, right? What's driving the metrics? And number two, where's the bang for my buck, right? I can, I can work on all kinds of things and try to fix all kinds of behaviors that maybe aren't uh, exactly what I want, but there are some behaviors that are really big drivers of success. And there are some that are not all that important. And I hear you saying the same thing when we look at what we're doing to help customers is really the same idea, like focus on the really important behaviors that are going to drive customer success, customer loyalty, and not worry so much about the numbers. Uh, um, I mean, there are certain metrics that that matter to help you uh, move the needle, I think. But I am totally not a fan of using customer feedback as a quality monitoring or performance management program. People come contact the contact center or that help desk or they're in a transactional environment. Something already happened upstream that is causing them to call. Now, if you can ask the customer to try to isolate just the experience with the agent, right, um, uh, then you might get a little closer. But I don't know how to do that. If I call, if I if I call somebody and I'm like, my direct TV service isn't working, the agent's going to do whatever they can. But at the end of the call, if they haven't fixed it, I'm going to be unhappy. And whose fault is that? I, you know, I don't know. It could be the agent's fault, but probably not, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, another thing to think about is timing. Back to the whole cadence thing. Like, so in a transactional environment, and I don't mean to spend all this time on transactional, but it it really pisses me off when I get surveys after a contact center interaction that say, you know, how likely to renew us? Let's take DirecTV for example. I would I would be like, or how likely to recommend? I, like. Well, I don't know. I yeah, I haven't fixed my problem yet. The agent said they were shipping a new box to me because my box died. So when I get the new box and I plug it in and see it's all working, then I can answer. But you want me to evaluate the agent now. Well, right. I can't do that. I can't because I don't know if they actually submitted the ticket properly to get the box shipped to me on time. Right. I mean, there's all kinds of things like that where it just drives me nuts how people just want to chuck a survey over the wall and call it done. The right, the right thinking needs to be, what do I need to do to my customer experience? And I'm telling you, not, right? So often it's upstream. Use customer feedback to identify the root cause of where those things are happening and get those fixed first. Yeah, absolutely. And you touched on this a little bit. But for those people out there that have maybe a contact center, they manage a contact center, uh, maybe they use uh, a net promoter assessment today. Can we talk about the danger of incentives mm. agent level that are tied to survey responses to those to those assessments? can Can you talk through that a little bit? Well, right? we've we've all been there. Anybody buy a car, right? where they're like, if you don't give me a 10, then I'm not going to be able to send my kid to college next year. Right. I, <laughs> right. Um, 
Yeah, you know, I'll pick on a good experience this time. Uh, Alamo Rent-A-Car, I was saying I just recently traveled. The first question they asked me was not how you doing or how's everything going? It was like, hey, we want to, this is the person that come out, come to check me out. What what could we have improved? Mm. Thank you for returning the car. I see you, you know, whatever you came from this location. Hey, what could we have done better in this experience? And I'm like, hmm. You know, I I I don't know. Uh, that's a that's a good question. I think everything's doing fine. Now I don't know what would have happened if I had said, well, this, that, and the other thing. Actually, because when I rented from Hertz, they didn't ask, and actually the windshield wipers didn't work at all. And I was in Seattle, and it was raining all the oh, time. No. It was a horrible experience. If they had asked me what could we have done better, I would have said, fix the windshield wipers before I rent the car. And I wonder what they would have done. But anyway, so uh, I think the whole idea of understanding what's going on in the mind of the customer and trying to address that as best as you can, that's the first level, right? But then there's only so much that you can do at the front line. So you've also got to get some root cause. And the root cause bit is all about, again, understanding expectations compared to experiences. We experienced this. I expected that. Right. And and just understanding that, you know, there's a lot of discussion in this business around five whys, uh, the fishbone diagrams, like all these uh, quality techniques. This doesn't have to be that complicated. I think, you know, you can get really good information by just asking, like, well, what did you expect versus what did you experience? Right. And and it, it, it's helpful to get to that root cause. Yeah, um, absolutely. So. Go, Something go. you said, uh, really, you're talking about from a quality perspective, right? Uh, contact centers and support, right? Whether it's uh, they're just doing tickets, whether they're doing voice, chat, email, doesn't matter what channel they're using. Quality is a, is a big thing uh, for them. Uh, I wonder, do you have any thoughts on uh, how people measure quality today and is there a better way? Are, are we looking at the wrong stuff? So if, uh, just based on personal experiences, right? So a lot of companies have these quality monitoring programs, which are recording calls and agents are totally fearful of like somebody's going to listen to the call. It's supposed to be used for coaching. It's often used for sticks. But here's the thing. Um, I find all the time when I call a contact center, they have their long opening script. They have their long closing script. For me, I I don't like those. I'd like, let's get into it. I don't need to have a chat with you. I just want to, right. But those things are there because somebody in the quality monitoring department decided it was important. Now, if, if they decided that based on the data and based on what the customer feedback was telling you, you know, great. Right. But I think a lot of the times it's not customer driven. It's, it's more inside out. It's, uh, it should be outside in. It should be customer feedback are telling you these are the most critical things to do on the call, great, let's measure those in our quality program. I don't know if that always happens, just because as a consumer, I don't feel it necessarily. Um, there's an old example, actually, back, I don't know, back about 20 plus years, Southwest Airlines was looking at contact center service levels. And the going in assumption, everybody's like, well, 80-20, right? 80% of calls in 20 seconds. Well, that's really, that, that can be expensive. Um, and, and maybe that's not the right metric, right? Maybe customers are willing to stay on hold a little bit, um, or, or maybe not. Right. So 
the amount of time it takes to reach a live agent, I, I would suggest in a contact center, they should measure that from the customer's perspective. How much time did it actually take? Right. They, you should know that in the contact center data, the, the ACD is going to measure that. Uh, ask the customer, uh, did, you know, what do you think about the amount of time it took? And then, <laughs> you know, right now you have an easy two by two where you can say, well, here you can start to come out scientifically with where your your service levels ought to be. And if your measure is customer loyalty. Yeah, absolutely. And I, don't I think know how I got to that tangent. But. Uh, it's okay. I think understanding your demographic and what their tolerance is, is important. And that's different depending on, I, I've seen this, right? Uh, being in the BPO world, you see all kinds of different businesses with different demographics of customers. And there are certain demographics that are far more patient depending on uh, them and what their need is. And there are other demographics that they're not patient at all. Like they want to talk to someone right away and they're not going to wait on hold for 30 seconds um, or, or they'll hang up and they'll call somewhere else. Um, but it depends on what the need is, right? Do I have the option to call somewhere else? Is this a sales environment? Is this a support environment? Like it all is based on what they need and who they are to figure out what that service level needs to be. Yes, right. And and I right, we were talking about quality monitoring and quality programs. So, yeah, I mean, holding an agent accountable to the things that they control, uh, it's important. We should do that. You know, is customer feedback the best way to do it? You know, maybe um but I I don't think so. You should take the gift of customer feedback. It is a gift of the the customers giving you their time and use it to drive the right improvements across the business. Now, you can use it to do some agent coaching. Sure, that's driving the right improvements. Again, if, it, if it's based on data and if it's based yeah. on not just a stick. Um, to your point about, you know, should, should we be begging for scores? Yeah, no, obviously not. Uh, the incentive, in my opinion, needs to be on the ability to capture representative feedback. Now, at the front line, Again, the agents have only so much control over response rate. They can influence response rate. They can say, look, when we hang up, you're going to get a questionnaire. I know it's not really the right time because you haven't gotten the new box yet. But for the areas that you are comfortable evaluating, I'm committed to telling you that the company is committed to, to addressing what you're telling us. So if you're honest and you fill out this assessment, this questionnaire that you're going to get, um, we're going to address, we're going to follow up with you. Now, the question internally might be, you know, is, is somebody really going to be able to follow up with that consumer and drive a follow-up call to, to initiate some of that stuff? Uh, is it appropriate to handle instead right on that call where you are? Or, or even further, uh, can you follow up in more of a one-to-many way, right? Every week, here are the people that responded this week. Here's what we heard and here's what we're doing about it. So at least I can get some sort of closed loop process out of the gift of my feedback. If I'm going to give you feedback and never hear any back, anything back, you can be darn sure I'm not going to respond next time. <laughs> so I want to talk about the idea of using NPS internally in your company. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? How does that work? 
couple of different uh, approaches, right? One is like on the employee surveys, right? A lot of companies will do the annual employee survey and, and they'll ask, how likely would you be to recommend friends or colleagues to work here, mm-hmm. right? Not necessarily a bad question. Um, depending on the solution, we've seen some environments where there's a direct relationship in the employee willingness to recommend friends to work there with the customer's willingness to recommend colleagues to buy from that, right? Sometimes they line up beautifully, sometimes not, right? So understanding, again, those key drivers, which things are most likely to move the needle on the internal side, which things are most likely on the customer side, lining those up. It's a process we call parallax, which is just getting multiple points of view, but the, the lining those things up can be super telling. In a services environment, like uh, IT service environment, you know, look, Am I able to recommend the help desk if I have a if I have a problem? Like I'm not really able to recommend the help desk. Uh, and satisfaction to me, satisfaction is such a low bar. And nobody asks, you know, hey, were you satisfied with that interaction? I don't know. It's just not a question, right? So um, it, it might be down to brass tacks. You know, if you had another option. How likely would you be to try the other option versus contacting the help desk, mm-hmm. right? I mean, like, that's what you want to know. So that's what you should ask. Um, and then just kind of, again, the follow-up strategy of understanding why one person is, yeah, the help desk was awesome. And then somebody sitting right next to them hates the help desk. What are the differences? What are the use cases? What are, right? Sometimes a follow-up discussion is the shortest path. Sometimes your data analytics, that operational data is is can can be a big key as well. Um, so different use cases for internal use. I'm not a fan of NPS for it. The score, net promoter score, the system right. certainly applicable. So let's talk about that follow up because uh, we've talked a few times about how important the system is and how important it is to close the loop and not to focus so much on the number. So let's talk about executing that follow-up with your customer, whoever that respondent is. Who should be responsible for that? And what's the best way to go about initiating that conversation? So that's also, that's uh, that's that's the million dollar question, I think. I mean, that's, that's what companies uh, struggle with. So I would say, for, well, first of all, make sure that, Somebody's responsible for it. Somebody's accountable for it, and that they have the bandwidth to to do it. Um, uh, for, for example, I see a lot of companies. You mentioned this. It's on the calendar. It's like, okay, it's uh, it's February. It's time to do our NPS thing. Let's blast it out, right? And and now we get back like a thousand responses. Maybe if you've got a, a large enough audience, and well, how, who's going to follow up with all these? It's <laughs> it, it, right. It's impossible. So kind of doing it in band with your existing process, designing your, your relationship process or your service process, whatever it may be, with that follow-up in mind, it has to be key, right? So if you're doing it in B2B as a relationship program, the account manager is looking at these milestones. It's a great opportunity for the, you know, for for an automation to send out these requests for feedback, personalize it, demonstrate a commitment, and, and allow that account manager right to take the right action the the right action bit though in b2b especially with strategic accounts 
Probably is a what we call a joint success review or a joint account plan or a joint success plan or whatever. It's it's the idea of not just following up individually with a one-on-one person, which you could do, but I think there's more value in, okay, you got feedback from 10 people in the account. Let's put all those together. This seems to be what's working and not working. Let's relay that back to the customer. Let's sit down together and say, this is what you guys are telling us. This is working well. This is not working well. This is what we think we should be doing about it. This is what you own for training or for uh, product usage or whatever it may be. This is what we own as, as far as the next step, right? And you can put together, it's, it's not, don't rocket science. It's simple as better. Here are the things that you're telling us and here's what together we're going to do about it. That might be the better way to follow up as this account level motion, mm-hmm. right? Along these, these key milestones. Um, uh, there's a time and place, right? So sometimes one-to-one really makes sense. Sometimes the account level makes sense. Sometimes one-to-many just kind of taking a sample. Here are all the people with this profile that rated this particular attribute really poorly. I, out of the 100 people that did that, I want to talk to 10 of them and get more information. The stars start to align very quickly as long as your sampling strategy, the people you're talking to, is well-designed up front. If you know who you're talking to and why and whether or not things are appropriate, then that 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 becomes kind of the the main the main key. Think about who you're talking to and why and and then design your process. I I, I can't tell you how many times people are just like, well, here's our net. We have to do net promoter score because the CEO said or the board said and they do it poorly and they come up with a number that's totally unrepresentative and there's no value to it, except it erodes value. I should say, we do know that it erodes value by doing that. When you don't follow up with customers, they are far more likely to not respond the next time, which means they're one foot closer to being out the door. And we don't want that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, what I am hearing is that really what the net promoter system does when executed properly is that it reinforces a relationship and communication between whether it's B2C or or B2B, it doesn't really matter, right? It's all about communication between those two entities and having a a relationship so that we can move forward and and be successful, right? I, as a provider, am am doing the things that you as a customer are, are wanting and expecting me to do and are, are happy with how we're performing. Yeah, I wish I had started off with that. You, I think I, yeah, uh, certainly I didn't say it as as well as you did. That That is the key, is about managing expectations or setting the right expectations in the first place. So marketing, sales, right? They're, they're setting expectations up front. Um, and and if if the contact center or the support area or the account teams, the customer success managers, whatever those are, they're downstream from from that. So we got to connect those dots. And customer feedback can be a great way to do it, right? Um, it 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 takes all the sort of subjectivity out of it. It's it's based on data. It's based on evidence. It's unequivocal. So, um, I, you know, I'm a big fan of of leveraging customers to help an internal organization connect the dots. As long as it's not going to hinder the follow up process. If internally you start pointing fingers and, you know, look, nobody's perfect. So uh, let's avoid the finger pointing and just focus on the data, the root cause of that data, 
and uh, and understand what we are going to do different next time we're going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so uh, there's a couple things I just want to put out there. Uh, if you want to learn more, particularly as it relates to B2B, I hear somebody's got a book uh, that they wrote about that. But uh, do you know what that book's called? Somebody did write, somebody did write a book. Uh, yes, my, my book is available on Amazon. It's got a very irreverent title. It's called Failure Sucks. <laughs> Um, more, the subtitle is more for your customers than for you, which basically means, look, like if I, I buy, I'll say I'm a consumer and I spend all this money on this vacation and, uh, right at, and I'm flying United airlines and they bump me off my flight. And now my whole vacation is ruined. Failure sucks for me far more than it does for United who, had to cancel the flight and it cost them some money. I mean, I, 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 it's right. So failure sucks, but don't think of it from your own point of view. Think it has some empathy. Think about it from your customer's point of view. And the book is actually a sort of how-to guide. It's organized in chapters. It's kind of a workbook oriented thing where we talk about the subject, the, the, that key piece of the program, um, kind of walk through some best practices and some challenges. And then there's some questions around now you try and and put you to work around developing what it would look like for your organization. Um, so the the workbook, the book is a, is a great place. It's up on, uh, on Amazon. Uh, I'm also always thrilled to have one-on-one discussions with anybody that's got particular challenges. There's a ton of resources on our website, waypointgroup.org, but um, reach out to me on LinkedIn. And I'd be thrilled to dialogue either on LinkedIn or uh, like set up a, a 30 minute call. I learn a lot out of understanding really what's going on in the real world. And I'm ha- always happy to provide uh, some either resources, some research, some evidence or my own opinions. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we'll make sure that uh, all of those uh, are available in the show notes. So if you didn't catch the website, if you want to reach out to Steve via LinkedIn, don't worry. I have the link in there. I'll even put the link to Failure Sucks, which when I read that title, I always do it to the tune of Love Stinks. <laughs> yeah, through that. Jay Giles. Yeah. Well, we're we're a little older. I don't know. I think, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. You don't need to age me, Steve. That. I'm doing fine aging myself. <laughs> All good. Yeah. Steve, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for taking the, the time to share your insights with us. I really appreciate it. Likewise. I love, I'm thrilled to be here. Next in queue is brought to you by Happy To and is produced by me, Rob Dwyer. If you enjoy this podcast, please, by all means, subscribe and or rate this podcast in iTunes or your favorite podcast app. But more importantly, please tell just one person about this podcast. Word of mouth is the best way for people to discover new content. As always, thanks for listening.